So I have a word to encourage you. That's my prayer this morning. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read the first 13 verses of this passage, and we're going to dive into it, and hopefully it'll be an encouragement to us. So uh, have you ever been talking and then getting a, getting a tangent? And then it's like, whoa, what happened there? What are we talking about now? Well, Paul, in this passage, in Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13, is a long tangent. The first line is Paul starting off praying. And at the end of chapter 3, we see that there's this phenomenal prayer. It's just a phenomenal prayer that we quote often, that we'd have the strength to comprehend the, the depth and love of Christ Uh, But before Paul gets there, he has this tangent, and this tangent is this holy, divinely inspired encouragement for the church. Uh, We just had pre-prayer this morning, and it was a fantastic time. A bunch of people there early, that's incredible, and they're encouraged, and they're full of faith, and they're ready to pray. Sometimes when we're about to pray, though, if you've been in a prayer meeting and people are there just because they've been faithful to be there, they're not yet motivated, there's usually somebody that in the moment is going to say, hey, guys, uh, he's going to bring encouragement, right? And he's going to say, okay, we're about to pray, and this prayer really matters, and we could be encouraged, and we could look to Jesus, and our hearts can be full of encouragement because he is for us. Now let's go to him who's going to hear our prayers, right? So there's this encouragement. I think that's what Paul is doing in this passage. So let's read it and then work through the text. And here's what Paul says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then you see that dash right there. Now he's going to go into his tangent. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly... When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been, as it has new been revealed to me, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Ruin that verse. Let's, let's move on. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be, now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was the according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is Paul's encouragement. The tangent ends in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. See, Paul goes on a tangent, a divinely inspired tangent to bring encouragement. He goes 13 verses and he ends with, because of all I just said, man, do not lose heart and be encouraged, be encouraged. What Paul wants is the church at Ephesus to be encouraged, to be rowed with courage, to not lose heart, to be full of faith. 
So what does Paul say? What does Paul say? And why is he saying this? Well, right now, Paul is in jail. He is in jail. He's in prison. Now, Paul planted this church. Paul has been in the church of Ephesus longer than any other church. He was there for three years. And uh, Timothy is there leading the church. He loves this church. He's invested his life into the chur- this church. He knows these people. Paul was the movement leader of this church. He planted the church. He preached the gospel. A lot of the people, all the people that are there got saved through the ministry of Paul. They love Paul. And Paul's preaching this mes- message of grace and, and new life and victory in Christ, which like, gets us excited and, and, and really makes us to believe that everything's going to be peachy and great. Christ is victorious. This is the message that we adhere to and believe. And then their movement later gets chained. He gets imprisoned. So why would the church at Ephesus be discouraged? And why would they be tempted to get, be in discouragement? Is because he's enchained. Uh, in chains, and he's suffering, and he's under prison uh, by the Romans, and he's chained to a soldier. And in verse 13, Paul states it very clearly. This is what he says. He says, I am presently suffering. I'm presently suffering. The guy that they love is presently suffering, which would lead and potentially lead them to discouragement. But Paul isn't discouraged. The one who is suffering is the one who is not suffering. The one who loved, the people who love Paul, they're tempted to be discouraged for the sake of Paul. And Paul's saying, I'm not discouraged. I'm actually encouraged. Like I, this is good. This is good. Paul has this radically different perspective. And it's what's motivating him to continue to serve Jesus faithfully. He has this perspective here in the church at Ephesus. They have this different perspective. And what Paul wants to do, this is how we encourage one another. Someone's down, they have a, they have a wrong perspective about what, how things are going, right? Someone that brings encouragement has a different perspective. And if we encourage each other well, we bring our encouragement to bear on our loved ones and on our friends. We say, no, that's not right. Here is what is true. This is reality. And that's what Paul is doing. He's being a good friend. He's being a good partner in the gospel. He's bringing his reality to bear on the church at Ephesus. And we see that right in the beginning, right in this tangent. We see that Paul has a radical perspective. Look at verse one. Paul identifies himself. This is what he says. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Well, actually, Paul presently is a prisoner under Roman guard. So what is it, Paul? Are you a prisoner of the Romans? Are you a prisoner of Christ? And here's where Paul displays his radically different perspective. He is a prisoner of Christ. And even though physically he's unchanged by Roman guards, no, his view and his perspective is I am a prisoner of Christ. What he is saying is that I am in the the service of Jesus. I am living for Jesus. I am trusting Jesus. I know that even though I am presently in chains and suffering, I am having the privilege of serving Jesus in this very moment. And his confidence is that this is all working out for God's good, that this is part of the plan and his God is that big. And he is willing to be in chains. He is willing to be in chains, even if he has to suffer to serve his king, to serve Jesus. 
And this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the church at Ephesus. He has this perspective here. For those that are struggling with discouragement, he's trying to bring this, this perspective to bear on the church at Ephesus. In the life of Paul, we see that he has a radical, different, radically different perspective. Uh, one of the well-known verses where Paul communicates is this 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Here's what he says in verse 17. For these light and momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So here's what Paul, this is Paul's radical perspective. It's totally different. What he identifies is these light and momentary troubles. Um, like, so if I was to ask you, like what happened this week where you would identify as a light and momentary affliction? It's like, man, you hit a bunion on your foot or something, or you had a hangnail, or you know, someone at work was just driving you crazy. Those are light, those are probably in the category of light and momentary afflictions. Paul's perspective is so contrary, so radical. His light and momentary affliction is being beaten to the almost to the point of death, right? multiple times to, to, to being clubbed because people hate him so much and they hate him so much that they, find, they thought they finally beat him, but he actually lived and they, they let him off the hook. But, and he continues to serve. He was shipwrecked and the list goes on, impoverished and without food. And for Paul, his perspective is, man, these are light momentary afflictions. And what he says is, is they are pre preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. His, his perspective is an eternal perspective. It's not light and momentary. He's choosing to have a perspective that's rooted in what is eternal versus these light and momentary afflictions. And this is what he says in verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Here's where Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. No, what is seen is Paul a prisoner under Roman guard? No, but he's looking at what is unseen. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And this is so imperative. Like being part of a church plan, which you guys are. This is the beginning of a church. You're over, a little over a year in. And man, God has done phenomenal things. But it hasn't come without a price. You guys are enduring things. You're like having to wake up early. You're having to do extra stuff because you guys are part of the thing that, is, that God is doing, the new work that God is doing into this city. And there's a price to be paid. And when we have the right perspective, when we have the right perspective, when we share Paul's perspective, this eternal perspective, man, we can endure difficulty. Like there's difficult things that we have. Anything that's worth doing requires something. It costs us something. Like if we have this vision that God wants to do something special in Chino, man, it's going to cost us something. And if we have the right perspective, and we're willing, we're willing to endure that cost. Like no problem. These are light momentary troubles because the goal, the, the purpose of God, man, it's so good. I was uh, last week, last week I was reading the news and scrolling through the news feed and all of a sudden I see this this back of somebody. And I mean, it looks like a rainbow on this back. It has all these different colors. And I, I mean, first thought it was like some kind of disease or some fungus on someone's back. And it was a lady's back. And it turns out it was bruises. I mean, more bruises than I've ever seen on anybody's body in my life. And it was like horrific. And your first thought is, what is going on? 
It's like, why would someone subject themselves to that? Like, why wouldn't you run after like the first bruise? Why wouldn't you run? And uh, as you read the story, her name is Fiona Simpson. She lives in Brisbane, Australia, and she was driving in her car, and she got caught in a hailstorm. And the hail was the size of baseballs and started pummeling the car. She stopped the car, and, and they were panicked. It was just loud. And, and, and the hail began to, to shatter the wind, windshield and shatter the back window. And her nine-month-old son was sitting in the car seat. And, and as the window shattered, all of a sudden the hail started hitting her son. So she did the first thing that she could do is she unbuckled her seat, and she just covered her son with her own body. Right? And she... And she endured a hailstorm of baseball-sized hail. Why? For her son. For her son. She was willing to endure something because there was a point to it. Like, we wouldn't say, Fiona, the Fiona Simpson, do you want to subject yourself to these bruises? No, she wouldn't subject herself to that punishment and that suffering. There's no way she would do it. I mean, if some people think in the Christian life we're supposed to want to suffer, no, that is crazy. Nobody should want to suffer. But we do suffer when there's a point to it. And the point for Fiona is she was saving her son. There's a point to it. And this is what ministry is. If you're in the church, guess what? You're a minister. You are um, called to ministry. And what ministry is service on, the behalf, on behalf of others. It's living our lives for the benefit of others. That's what ministry is. We serve, and sometimes serving is nice. Like sometimes serving is we get really good co- coffee and go in someone's house and talking with them. Maybe. But maybe you get really bad coffee at going to the next people. And then you suffer, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we're willing to endure. We minister. We serve. And that's what Paul is doing here. Three times he says it very clearly. He can't say it any more clearly. In verse 1, he says, I am in prison on behalf of you Gentiles. In verse 2, he says, this revelation, this mystery, was given to me for you. And in verse 13, Here's what he says. He says, I am suffering right now. I'm suffering for you. This is what ministry is. It's service for the benefit of others. This is living for the benefit of others. And sometimes it includes difficulties. Sometimes it includes things that are uncomfortable. But Paul is saying, hey, if you have the right perspective, you can endure the difficulties and you can endure what is uncomfortable. Paul's view is that the advancement of the gospel may include difficulties and hardships, but that isn't reason to be discouraged, and that isn't reason to lose heart. And what we see oftentimes is the gospel is advancing through people who are willing to endure hardship and difficulties. So I just got back from Nepal last week, and uh, we've had this privilege of working with the churches in Nepal uh, One Life prayed, Kelly and Marianne were there at the time. We just prayed that God would give us an opportunity to reach with uh, reach unreached people groups, to partner with people who are planting churches in unreached people groups. And so I've gone there now eight times. I go there twice a year. We're seeing, we're helping the churches there. They're the heroes. We're just coming alongside of them, providing training, providing finances that they can continue to do what God's called them to do. They're advancing the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. It's just phenomenal stories. And we're sitting with the pastors and, 
and, and uh, each one of the key leaders, they were talking about how their church is growing and how villages that are within walking distance, I mean, when I say walking distance, four to six hours of walking distance are begging them, please come and teach us about Jesus and please start a church in our village. Unreached people, I mean, there's nowhere in the world that I know of right now where people are begging to hear the gospel and begging for a church to be planted. And there's guys that are paying the price for it. Here's a, here's a, a couple. We can get on the screen. I just recorded them worshiping. They were worshiping God and in, in Go to the next slide there. This is Omar, uh, the previous little video of him and his wife worshiping Omar and Kamla. And um, um, Omar was, was a, uh, he's a Nepali, but he got a worker's visa in India. And so if you get a worker's visa in India, that's like kind of winning the lottery. You improve your quality of life. You can make a, a wage, uh, an income that can provide for your family. It's much better living. Nepal is incredibly impoverished. And so he was working in India. He met a friend. That friend in introduced him to Jesus. He got plugged into a church. He, his life was radically changed. He got discipled. He uh, got trained in leadership. And all of a sudden, here, here's God call him to go back to his hometown village where he grew up to go plant a church. And to go from India back to Nepal is to subject himself to a life of poverty. And uh, so he goes to his village and his village is in the, the foothills. It's not even the Himalayas yet. And the foothills, their foothills are just ridiculous. I mean, they're just massive. And so last year I had the privilege of going to his village and uh, there's 92 households in his village which represents about 600 people. He goes in there with his wife, Kamala, as the very first Christians, very first people that know about Jesus, and they start to preach Jesus. They've been there for 10 years, and they have baptized over 300 people in that village. It's just amazing. I mean, over 50% of that village has come to know Jesus. Uh, last week, he was talking. said, man, I, I was thinking I need to move on and then I, he goes, it just dawned on me that, that Jesus is doing so much in my village. Why would I leave? We, he lives on $100, $100 a month. And um, the church is starting to plant churches. So what's happened is this church, and they're on top of this one foothill up here. I mean, it takes like, you have to hike some like it would be like an extreme difficult hike in the States. You know how we have national forest and it rates our hikes and like it's all nice and everything's nice. And, and then there's really difficult hikes. Like these 70 year old ladies are walking up this mountain to go to church. It's just incredible. And so they have this, their church service. And so what's happened is villages on other hills. Like, so imagine two foothills here. Way down here, you have to walk. This, from get to this foothill to this foothill takes four hours. <laughs> so on Saturdays, which they have their church services, this village, about 20 people have started to walk down four hours to get to this church. They have service, they have a little meal together, four hours back. And they started another church here. And now... And so this church has been going for about two years and they have probably about 40 people now. Now there's another foothill, like, you know, that's, that's here that's starting a church. I mean, these, 
are the kind of stories that, that, we, that encourage us. People willing to endure difficulties, paying the price so that the gospel advances. That the gospel advances. So what is it? What is it that Paul encourages the people with? What is it that, why is his perspective so contrary to the perspective of, of, of the church at Ephesus? What is it that is so unique and difficult, or di- di- so unique and uh, improved from Paul's perspective? What Paul wants to communicate and what Paul uh, brings home is this big idea of grace. Now, in these first 13 verses, Paul mentions grace three times. And what he, his big picture, his big umbrella is the grace of God. And he moves from his personal experience of the grace of God to what the message of grace actually is. Then he moves to the people of God's grace. And then he moves to the cosmic story of what God is doing in the world, his eternal purposes and plans. So here's what Paul says in verse seven. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given to me by the working of his power. To me, though, I was the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. What Paul says is, man, what it motivates him is the grace that he has experienced, He's still living in the grace that he has experienced. What he says is, I was the very least of all the saints. Me, I'm the very least, but I experienced the grace of God. The one who opposed the gospel, the one who was the persecutor of the church. Man, Paul's perspective is to continue to live in the reality that he was saved by grace, that he has experienced God's grace. And God's grace that was so profound and so amazing that even though he was the least of all the saints, God has chosen to reveal him to him what is the mystery, the mystery of this grace and this message that God revealed to Paul. And this is what this mystery is. Verse six, he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this is why Paul is in prison and this is why he's ultimately gonna die because his message wasn't that Jesus came just for the Jews to save the Jews. His message was that Jesus came to save the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, it's really anybody who isn't a Jew. So congratulations, pretty much everybody in here is Gentiles. So we're Gentiles, and what Paul's message was is that Jesus came to save. And this message and this grace is for the Jews and for the Gentiles. And if that doesn't really mean much to you, hearing about this message of the Jews and Gentiles, here's what it means from practical application, that nobody is outside of the saving arm of Jesus. Like sometimes we want to put our confidence in our pedigree, like where we came from or how educated or how much money or what our social status is. And that's what the Jews were doing. I am who I am because I am a Jew. Jesus loves me because I am a Jew. Jesus died for me and has given me grace because I am a Jew, but not the Gentiles. What Paul's message is, man, it's for everybody. And he's so uh, encaptured in so amazed at God's grace. God's grace is for all. 
God's grace is for the least of these. God's grace is for those who, who don't deem themselves worthy, that there is all people, all people can be saved by the grace of God. And this message, that he, he experienced God's grace and he was motivated by this message. Man, this message has to get out. This message cannot be contained. This message of those that are, all, think about the city of Chino. And there are people at higher social standards than others, higher social classes than others. And there's people in this city that do not deem themselves worthy. And there's broken people. There's people that have screwed up. There's people that have made so many mistakes in their life that they are without hope. And what Paul's message is, man, every single person, and every single person being saved by the grace of God, and he was motivated by God's grace. His perspective is rooted in the motive, in what God has done and what he wanted to do. Now, here's, here's where it gets profound, okay? So Paul is motivating them. He's giving them his perspective. And it starts with his personal experience of God's grace, the message of grace, and then he culminates it in the people of grace. Here's what verse 10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I don't know if you're catching this, but this is amazing because this is what we're doing here at church. There's, there's, this, there's the experience of grace. There's this message that needs to go out in grace. And then there's this display of the grace of God. The central display of the grace of God is the church. Like when we gather together, Jews and Gentiles from different social classes and different ages, different economic backgrounds, different ethnicities, that we're gathering together centered around Jesus. Man, this is the display of God's grace to the world. Says so to the rulers and authorities, yes, that goes beyond the, the demonic world as far as to the angels, but it goes to the entire cosmos and all people on the earth see the church and they see the display of God's grace. Some people have a low view of the church. Some people think, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Or they think, man, the church has hurt me too many times. Like I love Jesus. I love the grace of Jesus. But then I've been offended by too many people in the church. People have let me down in the church. People have hurt me or abused me. There's been division in the church and there's too much drama in the church. And the church isn't worth it. And God's eternal plan, until he returns, his design, his central display to the entire world of his grace, the glorious outpost of his grace is the local church. So what we're doing here this morning, what you're doing here, why we're so encouraged, is that God is doing something profound amongst you. He is putting on display his grace. He is putting on his display that Paul experienced, someone who was a persecutor of the church, that Jews and Gentiles experienced, those that are near to God and those who are far from God. And he's putting this all on display in the church, the local body. And for all of us here, we are co-heirs. We are co-body members. We are co-sharers in the promise of the new creation. And this is no small thing. This is what we're waving, waving the flag to all people. Man, the grace of God is real. Come and experience the grace of God. This is 
God's intent and God's plan that the church would know his grace and experience his grace. So Paul moves from his personal experience of God's grace, he moves to the message of God's grace, he moves to this incredible privilege of being part of the church, being part of the church. And at the end, he says, do not lose heart. So I tell you, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart in what you're doing here. You are participating in God's eternal plan. Being part of the church, being connected to the church, being this glorious outpost to the Chino, man, this is participating in God's eternal plan. Until he returns, his plan is that this church in Chino would be raising the flag of Christ's grace, letting all people know who are hopeless and broken that they could find salvation and restoration and forgiveness in him. So do not lose heart because what you are enduring, the difficulties, man, and the trials, the, the uncomfortableness at times of being part of a church and being part of like the team that's like trying to get this thing going and see growth and the vision. So do not lose heart because what you're doing has eternal lasting value. What, what you're doing might not be seen in this moment, but man, it's achieving an eternal weight of glory. What God is doing here is, is phenomenal. That's what he's saying. So do not lose heart. We don't have to lose heart because we know that God is near and God is present. We don't have to lose heart because we know that suffering isn't for nothing. We're not subjecting ourselves to bruises for the sake of subjecting ourselves to bruises. No, we're subjecting ourselves to difficulties because it's going to accomplish something. God is using our suffering for good. He's using it to benefit others. So we don't lose heart because we are participating in God's eternal purpose. Here's what 2 Timothy 1, 8 says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul says this even in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. He is not only motivated by the grace of God. Paul's view of grace isn't this unmerited favor at salvation. Paul's view of grace goes beyond that. It goes to empowering his life. He says, by the working of his great power. The grace that was extended to him is the working of his great power. And when he encourages Timothy, who's leading this church at Ephesus, he's saying, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And Paul wasn't determined to suffer. He wasn't good at enduring suffering on his own. He wasn't saying, hey, be like me, how much willpower I have. What he was saying is, man, suffer, endure, keep on laboring in the gospel by the power of God. So we don't do this in our own strength. We do it empowered by him. We rely on him. We need him to fill us. So, Southlands Chino, do not lose heart. We're so encouraged to see what God's doing amongst you. We're so encouraged to see that God is the one who is leading this church. We're so encouraged to see people being added and and that five people were baptized. Just great stories of God's grace. Be encouraged. Don't, 
Don't allow your encouragement to be rested on what is seen, but have a perspective that joins with Paul, that joins with God's eternal plan, that is eternal. It's an eternal perspective. Let's bring the gospel and God's grace to bear on our own perspective. And let us not lose heart because what he has for us is great things. What God wants to do through you is great things. We're in the prayer meeting uh, just a little bit ago before the service started. The first thing that came to me, uh, Kirk was leading the prayer. He said, let's pray. All of a sudden the voices go up real loud and I immediately heard this church is pregnant. And uh, if I submit that to you guys. I feel like God said this church is pregnant meaning that there are this church is pregnant with people who are far from God who are going to get saved. This church is pregnant for those who are disillusioned with the church, have lost faith in the church, they're going to come in and see a community that really is exemplifying the gospel and displaying the gospel. Now, those that are broken and lost and addicted and hopeless, man, they're, they're going to receive hope. This church is pregnant. Look not to what you see, but to what is unseen and trust in Jesus. Southlands Chino, do not lose heart. Can we pray? God, what a privilege to just be here with friends, to see evidences of your grace all around these people's lives and this church and the unity of this body. God, we pray, Lord, that um, God, that this church would continue to be full of courage, full of faith, full of freedom, full of confidence, pursuing, willing to minister, willing to live for the benefit of others, willing to serve on behalf of others. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd give encouragement, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.